0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for returning for another week. I'm your host, Brad Betke, and this is the 27th episode of the Box Sports Podcast. Five six oh, come
1: on oh, yeah.
0: I'm back with the fire but on a different
1: scale oh, yeah. I'm back on my feet just like I tripped and fell I'm secretly bending all the scrolls of secrecy I frequently murder these rhythms evenly I balance these Underweather, my parents they helped me build up the toughest feather watching power book wine glass laying on tuskie leather oh, yeah. when I pop family
0: gonna benefit it Welcome 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 back to another episode guys thank you so much for tuning in real quick hope you guys had an incredible Memorial Day weekend Uh, Remembering those that have served and who have given their lives for our freedom in this country. Um, Without further ado, let's jump right into it. As I'm sure most of you are plenty aware, the NBA Finals has officially been announced. The Miami Heat eliminated by the Boston Celtics and the Dallas Mavericks eliminated by the Golden State Warriors. You have your finals matchup, Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors. Both teams, as we should know by now, based on the roster, that were built, not bought. Essentially, all that means is no trades, no players given a substantial amount of money to come play for the team. The teams were built solely based on draft picks. You look at the Warriors, Draymond, Kevin Looney, Jonathan Kuminga, Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson... Only player on the team that was traded for was Andrew Wiggins. The rest of the team, 99% of them are uh, were drafted. And then Celtics, same thing. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. The only player on their starting lineup that was quote-unquote traded for Al Horford, Robert Williams, another draft pick of theirs, so on and so forth. So it's a real gritty finals. I personally don't believe that the best two teams in the NBA are in the finals, but I do think we're going to get some fantastic games out of either team. I'm going to go in a little detail about either team. One of the players on the Golden State Warriors actually has his own podcast that drops uh, episodes on Wednesdays and the Draymond Green Show. He dropped an episode yesterday which would be wednesday um, and he talked about the one thing that each team needs to do in order to win their title to start he says the warriors will win the nba finals this year if we control our turnovers this is a very good defense referring to the celtics we have to be crisp with our passing understand that they have great length they play passing lanes they're very aggressive they're a switching defense so it's very important i have to agree with them i think the only one of the biggest things that got boston this far was their defensive success and consistency throughout all these playoff series you look at who they've played we discussed it last week they've played tough opponents with very strong offensive presences and look at what they did to him there so i think he's absolutely correct And then he goes on to talk about what the Celtics have to do. The Celtics will win the finals if their defense is able to, one, stop Stephen Curry. I think that's where everything starts at. If they ultimately are able to disrupt our offense, now what does disrupt mean? Ultimately, taking you out of the things that you want to do. So if they're able to disrupt our offense, then the Celtics will win the NBA Finals. I don't know... I mostly agree with him. I don't, know, I don't know if he's just referring to, like, disrupt Stephen Curry or disrupt their actual whole entire offense. I love Steph. He's, in my opinion, greatest shooter of all time, undisputed. But I don't know that they need him to drop 30 to succeed. They have many players on their starting lineup and even on their bench that are plenty capable of putting up numbers to win games. Now, I don't know about being in the NBA Finals, you know, but... There have been a couple moments in these last few series with Boston where their play was a little questionable, where they were only scoring a few points every handful of minutes, and it just wasn't the most impressive play. Even in Game 7 against Miami, there were a lot of close calls where Miami would go on like an 11-0 run, and then Boston would get like 4 points, 6 points, and then Miami would go on another 11-0 run. But because Boston was up by so much, it took Miami a while to come back, and eventually Boston came on top, but... They definitely need to bring the heat because I can tell you right now, the Golden State Warriors, both coaching and players, have a lot of experience in these games. So they know what it takes. They know how to show up, and they will show up. You look at the Warriors, they have potentially four players who are capable of 30-point games. Curry, Clay, Jordan Poole, and Andrew Wiggins. Goodness, brain fart. And then... You look at Celtics, the, really, the only people they have that are really capable of that would be Jason Tatum Jalen Brown. We don't really know anybody else on the team to go crazy and drop a lot of points like that. So I definitely do agree with Draymond in the aspect of the Celtics' success comes from, starts with their defense. I won't say it comes from their defense, but it starts with their defense. If they're unable to shut things down on defense, then they're shit out of luck, long story short. So I definitely think I'll be... Tuning into his podcast a little bit more than that, Um, just based on reading this article here um, and, and stuff that I know just from watching the game. Draymond is one of the smartest players in the NBA right now. He's an absolute genius for the game. He knows it with his eyes closed like the back of his hand. And I think that anybody who loves basketball in general could learn a lot from him, and I think I'll definitely be tuning into his show a lot more now. Real quick, little cliche. I just want to go over my finals MVP predictions, um, and it's solely based on who wins, obviously. Um, if Golden State wins, I definitely think that Curry is the difference maker. Like I mentioned before, yes, the team doesn't necessarily need him to succeed, but we know Curry. We've seen him in these games. He's going to show up, he's going to deliver, and he's going to dominate. So if the Golden State Warriors win the finals, he will be the finals MVP. If Boston wins... I'm not going to lie. I'm stuck on whether or not I should pick Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. I do think that in leaning more towards Jason Tatum, just because he's a little bit more of a complete player um, in terms of playmaking and what he does without the ball in his hand, just as he is with the ball in his hand. So I think that gives him the edge. But don't sleep on Jalen Brown, man. We've seen this dude drop 40 in games that he needs to. So... I think it really comes down to the. It really comes down to who performs better in these games. So, those are my quick predictions for the finals MVP predictions. Um, and I just want to go over the game one injury report. You have for the Warriors three questionable players and one out. James Wiseman is still out with that right knee injury. Um, and then you have a starter, or really three bench players that are uh, questionable, but they're very important bench players uh Andre Iguodala Gary Payton and Otto Porter all questionable um I definitely think that depth could have a big impact in this series so keep an eye on those names there Um, and then the Celtics injury report you got Robert Williams the third he's questionable as well that's their starting center so if he's not if he's out for the game then that'll have a big impact on how they come out and play in game one Overall, my pre-finals prediction, I think I'm going to stick with what I said before. I think I'm going to take Boston in six. I want to say seven, but I genuinely do believe it'll be done in six. Um, And ESPN even has Boston as the 86% favorite to win the finals over Golden State. So I can tell you that arguably the nation's favorite right now would be the Boston Celtics. Moving on to the NHL and the conference finals, uh, we've had a lot of good offensive hockey here, um, and that's about it. You look at the scores of these games this last week, and it's hard to recognize the sport. I'm not going to spend all day lecturing about it, but I genuinely do believe that there needs to be something done. I mean, this base, I don't recognize hockey right now. I really don't. I've been playing it. I played it all of my childhood and youth growing up and even into high school. But it's just not what I've, what I fell in love with as a kid. It's not what I watched as a kid. Um, and I even have a quote from the goat himself, Wayne Gretzky. Um, he was on the, uh, The TNT intermission report with um, looks like Biz from uh, Pink Whitney and Barstool and a few other guys as well. Um, And he went on to say that I wish I could have played this kind of hockey in my day. I was one of the most offensive player that – or I was the most offensive player that maybe ever lived, but you got to play defense, man. That's how you win Stanley Cups. I would take – some advice from this guy. I think he may or may not know a thing or two or three or 50 or 70 about hockey. Um, and he's right. Overall, this isn't what we want to see. Defense is just as entertaining as offense and hockey, and that's one of the things that makes it so great. So I definitely think there needs to be a change. I don't know about how high scoring games are gonna last in the NHL in terms of attention. Um, I do. I do know that views are very high right now. They're averaging like one point seven six million viewers a game. But I think that your diehard hockey fans are gonna slowly start to fade away if this is what they keep watching is six, seven, eight goals t- scored by teams. Um. It's just not what people want to see as long lifelong fans of hockey. If you're new to hockey, then this is all you know, then whatever, you know, but knowing the sport from childhood, this is not what I'm used to seeing, and then it's not what I want to see. So um just wanted to go over that really quick. Despite the fact being despite all of that, um, for those that don't know, your matchups are the New York Rangers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Edmonton Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche. Game one, the New York Rangers came out and absolutely stunned the world, winning 6-2 to two against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, I would say, other than me, because we've heard in past episodes how I feel, that most of the country would agree that Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie in hockey right now. I don't think so for this season. I think this season the best goalie in hockey has been the Rangers, Igor Shesterkin. Dude's been incredibly consistent, incredibly successful. And he proved it in game one here. You know, it was uh it was great to see his success here. Especially against a team that you look at what their, their track record is so far this year. And obviously the past two years, they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. But this year, they defeated Toronto in the first round. And then the second round, they swept the arguably the best offensive team in the league, Florida Panthers, and held them to just three goals in four games. That's in- incredibly ridiculous. But in the game one of this series, they've already doubled their goals allowed as they did last series. So I think that this is more of an impressive performance by New York um, in terms of they know what to look out for. I think their coaching and scouting have done a fantastic job at paying attention to um, in terms of film and tendencies and picking up on patterns and such that they might notice that Tampa Bay's got going on, and New York is capitalizing on those opportunities. Um, and I did ask a question last week in the episode, and I think this game definitely proves the point a little bit more. I asked the question, are we more so impressed by the New York Rangers or disappointed in the Carolina Hurricanes? I think we're more impressed by the New York Rangers. Obviously, the situation with the Hurricanes is disappointing, but not only did the Rangers go on to win in Game 7. But they come in game one of the conference finals against arguably the best team left in hockey right now. Just based on track record and who they've beat. And they whoop them. Absolutely slaughter them. You know, so that's very intriguing to see. So, I'm very curious to see how the games are going to go throughout the rest of the series. Just based on this game one here. Because clearly we're going to have a lot of competitive action. I'm not going to get my hopes too high because despite Toronto's curse, they did the same thing, at least in terms of score. But it went back and forth between Toronto and Tampa. One team would win 5-3, to three, then the next team would win 5-1, to one, then another team would win 5-2, to two, and it would just go back and forth of borderline blowout games. So we'll see how it goes game two with the Rangers and Tampa Bay. To see if it's a similar pattern or if the Rangers really are the real deal. I know Igor is, but it's just hard to get on the bandwagon of the Rangers because offensively and defensively they're they're not quite there depth wise. You know, they got a couple really good names, but that's about it. So definitely keep your eyes on it. It's a lot more intriguing than I expected it to be. If you would have asked me, I would have said Tampa would have swept New York, but clearly we're off to the wrong start. And clearly, I'm not the guy to ask. So, there you have it. Now, game one of the other series. This one was the one is a little more concerning than that one. Colorado defeated Edmonton 8-6. I can't say I've seen a hockey score that high in years. You might go three, four, five years without seeing something like that. That's insanely high for a hockey game and that's kind of what I was touching on earlier is it's a little out of character for hockey to have scoring that high especially with teams like these um I don't really know what happened I will admit that Mike Smith one of the goalies in Edmonton I think he sucks so I think he's a big person to blame for the goals scored on Edmonton but it's more than that but still I don't think Mike Smith is a good goalie so that one is very interesting. Um, I don't really know what to think of that, where to go with that, how to feel about that. Um, I just hope I don't see a score that high next week or next game. I guess not next week, but and some people might try to compare this to you think about football. That game it was, I think it was the Chiefs and the Rams. It was when Jared Goff was still on the Rams. They had that one game where it was like fifty-four to fifty-two or something. It was like one of the highest-scoring games in history. That was somewhat of an exciting game, but you think about the people that didn't like that game. It was the people that liked the old-time football. You know, old-fashioned, lower scoring, better defense. And I think that's the same concept here for hockey, except I think that hockey is just now starting to transition into a stronger offensive game. Now, I do think that that is in part caused by players like nathan mckinnon austin matthews connor mcdavid that are primarily offensive gurus you know you think about as much as i hate him Sidney crosby he's a great two-way player you know when you look at a lot of the other great players of his era and the eras before him they were all great two-way players nowadays i'm not saying that the current players aren't but i think you see less of it i think you see less offensive two-way players Or forwards that are two-way players. So, I do think that that has a big impact on that. Moving on to another interesting story here we have. There was a golf match today, Thursday, called The Match. And it was between Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers teamed up against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. They do something kind of like this, I'd say, about once every year. I think last year it was Tom Brady and I want to say Bryson DeChambeau versus Phil Mickelson and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I might have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was something along those lines. Uh, This one was actually a very close game. Uh, The lead changed a few times, and Aaron Rodgers sank a putt on the final hole to give them a one-stroke lead to close it out and win the match. One of the things that I found most entertaining about this is the trash talk, the friendly intervention between the players. Um, There were a couple occasions where I think they did a a conference with Mahomes and Josh Allen. And they asked Mahomes what Josh Allen's biggest fear was. And Mahomes said coin tosses. Um, And then there was something a couple days earlier where Aaron Rodgers said something about Mahomes. And uh, they asked him if they thought he was on TikTok. And Aaron Rodgers said probably it runs in the family. Uh, Referring to his brother Jackson Mahomes who is a very widely... We'll just say known TikToker because of Mahomes' relationship, and then you look at another situation. Josh Allen said he would play the round with a golf ball that had a picture of shirtless Brady taken at the 2000 NFL Scouting Combine. For those that don't know, um, back in 2000, Tom Brady was drafted sixth round, um, and he was very—I wouldn't say very—but he was pretty. He looked pretty out of shape. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, a rolling meme through all these years. And he literally did have a pic that picture on his golf ball. Um, and there was another shot that Brady took a Josh Allen, uh, Brady hit a short shot. He said he hit it chunky and Josh Alleny, you know, so, I mean, they were shooting at each other back and forth the whole round. And obviously it was all friendly, you know, just athletic competition, but I, I just thought it was really funny. Um, you don't get to see this side of these guys most of the time because they're always on a very professional scale, whether they're in a uh, press conference or during games. You don't really get to see the guys outside of their games very often. So I definitely think that it was. Uh, it's cool to see this side of players. It, as much as I hate Aaron Rodgers because he's a Green Bay Packer, he's a pretty likable guy in my opinion. He can be a douche from time to time. But... He's pretty funny. I'm, I'll say that. I don't know if he's likable, but he's pretty funny. Tom Brady has become twice as more likable since he moved to Tampa Bay. Tampa. Tom- Tampa Tom. You know, Florida changed him. Florida changed me. I can speak from experience. I understand what he's going through. Um... You know, and then just to see that side of Allen and Mahomes as well. It's 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 comforting and it's it's cool to see these guys in a comforting environment, you know, where they can just kind of be themselves, if you get what I'm saying. Last thing I want to go over is my prediction and I think some names to watch for the MLB trade deadline which is not until August 2nd but I have a list of names here that I think we should keep an eye on um, and some potential landing spots for teams that would fit their excuse me that they would fit the team's scheme um, starting with Josh Bell the first baseman out of Washington Nationals uh, I think he's a pretty valuable player he's not very old you know he's been pairing pretty well with players like Nelson Cruz on the Nationals so um, I would say that some teams that could use him would be the Red Sox, the probably the Minnesota Twins, and potentially San Francisco, the Giants. I just see them as good fits for him there. Um, I'm going to go over five names. I don't know that I mentioned that before, but I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick five names that I think you should keep an eye on from now between now and August 2nd, the trade deadline. Um, so yeah, Josh Bell, first baseman out of Washington. Um, another one to keep an eye out for is David Betnar, the right-handed pitcher in Pittsburgh. Which, Speaking of which, Pittsburgh just went on a series sweep for the Dodgers, which is incredibly surprising considering Pittsburgh is one of the worst teams in baseball and the Dodgers are one of the best teams in baseball. So I just found that very intriguing. just wanted to throw that in there real quick. Uh, I personally think any he could really go anywhere. I think there are a lot of teams with bullpen problems right now. Um, speaking from a team that has bullpen problems right now. I definitely think that somebody with his talent could be used really almost anywhere. Uh, another name, Wilson Contreras, uh, the catcher on the Chicago Cubs. Uh, he's been in the league a little while. I wouldn't quite call him a veteran veteran, but I definitely think he's aged, um, and he's got, he's got some years in the league. Um, but some teams that could definitely use him I think would be Houston, the Astros, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Yankees. Um, I think that they could just use that depth at that position, you know, considering that they are, their strengths are outside of the catching catcher's position. Fourth on my list, I got Luis Costello, the right-handed pitcher in Cincinnati on the Reds. Um, I definitely think this, this guy's got talent, um, and I think that he could be used on the Mets. The New York Mets have had a lot of pitching problems this year, um, or injuries and so on and so forth. Obviously, they don't have DeGrom, and all they really got is Scherzer, so uh, they could definitely use some depth there at pitching. Tampa Bay Rays and the St. Louis Cardinals as well. Uh, one team as well that I feel like any pitcher could really uh, have their eye on is uh, the Toronto Blue Jays huge in Rio he left the game the other day um, with an injury and they did uh, move a kid up from triple a to replace him on the roster but he's their starting pitcher you know so you're not really going to replace him with a kid from triple a no disrespect to your minor leaguers but it's really rare to find a diamond in the rough off the snap of a finger like that so I think that they should, they're going to be exploring the trade market. He has an MRI, basically see how the MRI goes. Hugin Rio, I mean, has the MRI um, to see how that goes with him and to test his health, really, to see length of injury, how long is he going to be gone, so on and so forth. So um, I definitely think you got to keep an eye on Tampa, I'm sorry, Toronto, um, to see if they end up going for a pitcher based on. Hugin reuse uh, injury status. And then lastly, I think uh, David Peralta on the Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks. I th- He's an outfielder. I think he could be definitely used um, on some teams that need just a little bit more to fill some holes, fill the gaps to kind of get them through the season. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays, New York Yankees, and St. Louis Cardinals as well. I don't know the most about baseball. You know, I'm not nearly as educated as I am in the other three major sports. So I try my best and forgive me if I'm not really making sense for my baseball fans, but you know, I try to do my research and look into things as much as I can and do my best because I don't know, but I'm trying to learn. So give me a little slack, all right? overall you guys um, i think those are really the biggest things going on this week in sports simple as that we're gonna wrap it up here episode 27 of the box score sports podcast thank you so much for tuning in to another episode for another week uh hit us up on social share the podcast spread the love and I will see you guys next week for number 28. Peace out. Five,
1: six, awesome. Come on. Oh, yeah. I'm back with the five, but on a different scale. Oh, yeah. I'm back on my feet, just like I tripped and failed. I'm secretly bending all the scrolls of secrecy. I frequently murder these rhythms evenly. I balance decency under weather. My parents, they help me build up the toughest feather. Watching Power Book wine glass, laying on Tuscan leather. Oh, yeah. When I pop, family gon' benefit it. Trying to convert the Drake style, squeezy in a pinch of country. High class music, upper scale, and I remain on. In touch with my partners who be struggling and invade home. Seeds that I grew turn to trees, and it's funny cuz now i be that nigga in club sections with shades on. Oh, yeah. I'm popping my shit, watch while I demonstrate, making strip body debating how many pills to take. My mind is like a jungle, I really know how I feel to break. told my little cousin I'll turn this oh, burnt into steak. Oh, yeah. I made a path and a promise, I'm rich high pedestals when I go back and polish. Making my music meaningful, beneficial, symbolic, and I changed my whole lifestyle, with vegan, no olives. I ain't never had a change, and I ain't never.